Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm Tommy Vitor. John Lovett is still on vacation. Still finding himself. He's st- <laughs> we shouldn't scold other vacations because um, he who scolds the first. It's the last vacation. Yeah, I was, just, I was just gone for the Thursday pod. Yeah, no, right. Yeah. It's just been a while without Lovett. That's all. It's just poor Dan. Just, well, Dan actually killed it. Dan was out there doing basically three separate parts, different interviews with Melissa, actually being smart on legal matters, which we will not replicate today. Yeah. We're going to go full dumb. No, full dumb. Here we go. On today's show, Donald Trump and his pals threaten riots in the streets if the GOP frontrunner is charged with a crime. New York's newest congressman, Pat Ryan, joins to talk about what Democrats can learn from his surprise victory in last week's special election. And Republican politicians are outraged that Joe Biden is helping people with student debt. No, Rich. Uh, but first, if you haven't tuned into Another Russia yet, now is your chance to hear Jana recount the night of her father's assassination and reflect on what her father's legacy means for present-day Russia. Uh, this is a fantastic podcast from Crooked Media, Another Russia. And Ben Rhodes. Ben Rhodes, part of it as well. The final episode of Another Russia is out now, and you can binge all six episodes wherever you get your podcast. Binge away. All right. Let's get to the news, Tommy. So Republicans have long hoped that this midterm would be a referendum on Joe Biden, but uh, Donald Trump's potential crimes keep getting in the way. Yeah, he's very busy. Uh, On Friday, on Friday, the Justice Department unsealed the 32-page affidavit that persuaded a judge to approve the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago. More than half of the document remained redacted, so we didn't get to see all the good stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, But here's what we now know. 184 classified documents that Trump voluntarily returned back in January contain some of the government's most highly classified secrets and could have jeopardized human intelligence sources if they fell into the wrong hands. Mm-hmm. This is what the government believed. This is what they said in the affidavit That's to get the search warrant. The government after that then obtained evidence that Trump was withholding additional classified documents and made multiple attempts to get them back before concluding in the affidavit that DOJ had, quote, probable cause to believe that evidence of obstruction will be found at Mar-a-Lago. So, the documents the government received in January... What is the evidence of obstruction? Is it the tapes? Is it Trump just, like, giving the Heisman to a bunch of FBI guys trying to get in a basement? Well, it's a great question. The things we don't know is they recovered a bunch of surveillance footage, so they have that. They want more, I think. They've interviewed a whole bunch of witnesses who they're trying to protect the identities of. So they've got witness testimony. There's surveillance footage. Mm -hmm. Who knows what kind of physical evidence they have. But they clearly (laughs) had enough to persuade a judge that there was... Uh, enough cause for a search. You just you just go to your cousin's tacky wedding in Mar-a-Lago and you end up being a witness in this FBI investigation. Yeah, who do you think? Who, who are the witnesses? Some poor caterer. She's like, God damn it. I was looking for ketchup. <laughs> so the documents that they got back in January, the first tranche, 
um, had quite a few classified markings that I know you're familiar with. Some tranches. Uh, can you walk us through some of them and explain a little bit more about the government's concern on about human intelligence sources? What, what does sure. that mean? So the, the part of the affidavit that caught my eye was as follows. Uh, quote, 25 documents marked as top secret. Further, the FBI agents observed markings reflecting the following compartments slash dissemination controls. HCS, FISA, ORCON, NOFORN, and SI. Several of the documents also contained nerd. what appears to be <laughs> F-POTUS's notes. <laughs> I just, oh my God, this took me back in time. I haven't heard someone say ORCON in so long. It, it, it tickled my Tommy little and ben, Tommy and Ben would just throw around acronyms like that in the White House all the time and none of us would know what the we, fuck We all are, are our favorite little intelligence products. Mine was the did the defense intel digest because i have like little cool maps and photos of like it's something you subscribe to <laughs> and shit yeah no i literally did it came to my little cubby in the situation room cool cool so no foreign means you can't share the information with foreign governments that might seem sort of like confusing and it doesn't need to be said to people but we have partnerships with close allies where we share intel the five eyes is the notable one which is the us the uk australia canada new zealand orcon means the originator of the document has to okay it before you can share it so it's a way of controlling information that's very close hold mm -hmm. Here's where my eyes really perked up. FISA is a reference to information derived from surveillance, the FISA courts, the surveillance of spies in the U.S. It's pretty very secret. sensitive. Yeah, because you're something to do with Americans. I mean, it's, it's very sensitive stuff. Uh, SI is a reference to SCI or sensitive compartmented information, which is information or programs that are so sensitive that it's not you just don't get access to them because you have a clearance. You have to get read into them on a need to know basis. Those are the most closely held secrets. And that's like SCI. so you, you have top secret clearance and you still might not get rid into those programs because they're basically a need-to-know basis. Yeah, and that's sort of the deal with most intelligence. Like uh, your top secret clearance, your TSSCI clearance is table stakes, gets you in the door, but someone uh, important has to decide you have a need to know a certain amount of information. For example, I had top secret clearance and people decided that I needed to know nothing. nothing. There you the go. The entire five years I was in government. Well, listen, and I think that worked out well for everybody. Because I was just the speechwriter, so why would you tell me anything? I'm not going to put it in the speech. Yeah, that's kind of hard, <laughs> right? Well, yeah, Ben and I, you know, we worked at that sort of intersection of, of communications and NSC stuff. And mm -hmm. then you start something that's like, how you do need, I know you that? You needed to know what you couldn't say. You need to know what not to say. And then finally, HCS is information derived from spies, clandestine sources. So people we have working in foreign countries often and that is arguably the most important information because if they get exposed, you don't just lose access to that information going forward, but those people could be killed. And so um, the HCS, the the human-derived information I usually saw tended to fudge the origin as much as possible. It would be like a source with direct access or a source with indirect access to so-and-so said the following. But like when you're the president, you get all the detail you want or don't want, right? Because you kind of, and think about it, like you want to know, okay, but really how good is this source with quote unquote direct access? Is this some random schlub that we're paying off? Is this someone really, you know, dedicated to the American cause? And so- if this, is gonna, if this is going to lead me to make some national security decision that's life or death, I want to know what the source is. And again, I want to know how good the source is. That's the point of intelligence. It's not just cool. It's not, we don't gather it for the sake of gathering things. It's so policymakers can make better informed decisions. So the president is going to get the most sensitive stuff and so when I saw HCS information, it did make me wonder, hmm, were there real specifics about sources of foreign intelligence in countries? Then it mentioned Trump had handwritten notes because sometimes the really sensitive stuff does not get written down on the piece of paper. It gets briefed to you orally. And if he's like jotting down notes in the PDB, 
that's not good. So now, uh, does he seem like much of a note taker? Well, I mean, <laughs> in general, no. As a general matter, you're right, John. But it did note that he had taken notes, which made me wonder. I mean, I do think this is all important because you know Republicans and others will ultimately try to downplay this as like. You know, you saw fucking Mick Mulvaney tweeting about this, CBS commentator Mick Mulvaney. Yep. He's like, this is all a bunch of bunch of papers and documents. But it Donald Trump brings highly classified secrets to his beach house, leaves them around with very little security. Right. That and people find them, uh, foreign spies, other people that shouldn't have them, that could jeopardize people's lives. That sure, could jeopardize yes. our national security. It's also just we have rules. You can't do. <laughs> you can't do. I mean, that. there's that, but he, he doesn't care about the rules. But it really, I mean, I feels like uh, you of know, course. foreign this 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 kind of classified no. information in the wrong hands could jeopardize national security. I, I thought there was a chance that there would be a bunch of documents marked confidential or secret level, which are things you 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 cannot take with you to your beach house and you know put underneath your club sandwich or whatever it is he does, but is less likely to be really really sensitive when you start getting into like some of the the acronyms I mentioned earlier, that's when it's very worrisome that this was just sitting around. And it seems like uh, the director of national intelligence, Avril Haines, uh, said they're conducting a national security assessment now, the intelligence yeah. agency, so they can figure out how much damage Trump may have caused by leaving state secrets around his Yeah, they're forgotten to the wrong hands. Um, did you see Don Jr.'s defense of his father on Instagram? I did, Tommy. <laughs> so they're really focused on the redactions issue. Um, and Don Jr., in sort of typical dad, father, son stuff, uh, posted a photo of, of his dad where he redacted sort of the genitalia region. But like an, like but an extra sort of big exaggerated version. Exaggerated way. So he again, to compliment his dad. Don Jr. logs on to Instagram in the morning and he's like, What can I post about my dad's dick? <laughs> That's what I'm going to do today. And I have to make sure that it's complimentary because Eric's out right. there and who knows what he's going to do. I'm in my mid-40s. I need the hug. So I'm going to post an Instagram about my father's genitalia. That, that, is, that is the weirdest thing. It's so <laughs> weird. Their family's so weird. <laughs> it's just, I really can't even, fucking weird. Anyway. I do think, so there's obviously the mishandling of all this information. And by the way, the, the, you know, the whole like I declassified things. We, we've been saying this for a couple episodes now that like it's that doesn't really nonsense. matter. But of course, again, in the affidavit, we realized that like, the classification, the, the laws that Trump may have broken here do not rely on the classification status of these documents. You know, it's the That's FBI match, it's obstruction of justice. I mean, the, the, the poor people at the FBI and the National Archives spent over a year trying to get this stuff back. Just give us the papers back, man. Everything would have gone away. Well, it's also clear that the FBI came to suspect that Trump and his team were hiding the fact that he still had more classified documents in Mar-a-Lago. So that's the other big piece of this that we don't know yet, but that clearly led to the search, which is they're like, they think that he was lying to them. They didn't just think he forgot. Yeah, they didn't they just think, think he had some extra ones laying around. They have reason to believe that he was lying and purposely withholding classified <laughs> info from them. And Trump also hung out, hung his poor lawyer, not poor, his idiot lawyer out to dry and had her sign a document to the FBI saying he had returned all the classified information when Which he had not. not. I wouldn't want to be in her shoes. Uh, the Washington Post also reported that Trump often took boxes filled with classified documents with him on foreign trips. Is that best practices? Is that a safe way to handle classified info? I mean, probably not in a box. I look, I, again, I don't want to like fetishize classified information or like act like it's, but presidents can read classified information on foreign trips, but there are specialized times and places and processes to do it, right? Because imagine we would go with Obama on a 10 day trip to Asia. It's not like 
terrorism goes away during yeah, that a, time. He's got to reclassify. You got to get the PDB. But so, I mean, you remember this, John? Like, you would be in a hotel with the president, and the national security staff would set up a room or suite of rooms for this purpose. The computers there would be hooked up to some, you know, secure satellite link. Sometimes they would literally be tents. They would put up those blue puff tents. Yeah, what was what are those? So, in case there's spy cameras in the uh. walls, there would be those weird sound machines playing creepy stuff so that no one could record what you were doing. Um, in really aggressive countries, I, I think. Uh, I think this is Mike McFall's book about his time in Russia as ambassador. You basically had to construct um, like a mini metal submarine for the president in Russia to get his briefing wow. because the the Russians were so intense with their spying. So I'm sure, uh, yeah, I'm sure Trump was following all those uh, <laughs> those, those protocols, right? But again, it's like that's when you're the president and you're surrounded by people protecting you and the information, and you had need to access it because you're making policy decisions, not when you're deciding. To yeah, play he's just like, like in a, he's in his hotel room with these documents, like with fucking you know uh, McDonald's, right, well, Grease all over. Yeah, them. When, and today it's like, should I play nine or eighteen? You know, that's the that's the tough call. So one thing the government makes clear in the affidavit is that their investigation into Trump's mishandling of classified info is far from over. Uh, and the New York Times has a couple sources that said prosecutors working on the investigation are nowhere near making a recommendation to Attorney General Garland about whether Trump should be charged with the crime. Uh, as you can imagine, Trump and his goons aren't taking this very well. Uh, Trump's been truthing up a storm. Ooh, we're truthing. A lot of truthing. Yep. He truthed that he should be declared uh, the rightful winner of the 2020 election today. <laughs> Actually, he gave, he gave everyone a choice. He said sure. either... Either I should be immediately declared the rightful winner of the 2020 election, or we should just have a, we should do it over. Just run it back. Just do, do a he, He's the most annoying guy at the pickup basketball game. He was like, <laughs> that was a foul and I win or else I'm taking the ball and leaving. So that's what he did today. And then on Sunday night, he truthed uh, this Fox News clip of his friend, Lindsey Graham. If there's a prosecution of Donald Trump for mishandling classified information after the Clinton debacle, which you presided over and did a hell of a good job, there'll be riots in the streets. Riots in the streets. That's uh, so stuffed up. Josh Hawley also said this, that there'd be riots in the streets if Trump is arrested. Like, do you think they're just trying to intentionally scare the Justice Department into dropping the case? Like, how, how dangerous is this kind of rhetoric? I kind of do. I mean... It feels pretty dangerous it, to me. It feels like they really are trying to intimidate DOJ. I hope it gets the opposite reaction from the Department of Justice because the kind of, the whole point is equal justice under the law. They're, they're, I mean, look, Holly and Graham also desperately, pathetically, insatiably desire for Trump and the MAGA base to love them, but they never will. That is true. You know, and so, Lind, I just I kept thinking about Lindsey and his impassioned uh, January sixth, like, so January seventh at that point. Uh, all I can say is count me out. Enough is enough speech the night after the yeah, insurrection. But like, you know, this is a guy in 2016 who is calling for a special prosecutor to look into Hillary's emails. Again, we don't know if Trump is going to be charged. All we know is that in this instance, because it's Trump, Graham is saying, I don't care what the evidence says. I don't care about all these smoking guns that are in the news or in the affidavit or, or that have been admitted to. I, I don't. I think that my friend should not be prosecuted for what reason? No, their argument is that Donald Trump is above the law. Yeah. That he so he couldn't be couldn't be charged for doing anything when he was president because he was president, but he also couldn't be impeached. And now that he's not president anymore, he can't be charged with anything because he might be running for president again. So basically it's like no matter what Donald Trump does, there's always some reason why he shouldn't be charged. And basically the argument now is that so many people like Donald Trump, that he has so many supporters, that they will get upset and riot and cause violence 
if something happens to Donald Trump, so you better let him do whatever the fuck he wants to do, because otherwise there'll be violence in the streets. That's what they're saying. Well, I mean, also, you know, yeah, yeah, we know there'll be violence in the streets. We, we, we watched that. But some lunatic just attacked an FBI office, too. I mean, this is it's it's beyond irresponsible. It's really it's pretty reprehensible. Well, and what does it say to the uh, to people who are watching Lindsey Graham on TV and Josh Hawley and, and following Donald Trump when they say, oh, there's going to be violence in the streets and there's in comparing the FBI to the Gestapo and all this kind of bullshit like it's getting very this is this is how you get you know sort of right-wing violence and we've seen it before with oklahoma city bombing tim mcveigh like this is this is the kind of shit that we're getting again flip side spin zone it's probably keeping truth social afloat i heard they're having a tough time apparently they're in arrears uh fox news broke that they owe like a million dollars to some vendor but i guess he's finally you know, driving people to the platform. They're not They're not truth and hard enough? Not truth enough. It is sort of interesting that, like, Trump here is just, he's only trying to win the political battle about this, and he, he's not, the, yeah. the legal battle's not going well for him at all. Right. I mean, the New York Times uh, said that Boris Epstein, who's the marble-mouthed um, former sort of surrogate director in the White House for, like, seven minutes, and now Steve Bannon co-host is the closest thing to a real lawyer that they have. They, they call them the closest thing to a legal quarter, the, the quarterback, the legal quarterback yeah, for the whole yeah, team. Yeah. That's your because Tom Brady. He also he hired, he found some guy named Jim Trusty, who he hired to be his lawyer That's because awesome name. he saw him on television, That's which is name. how he finds all his best people. That's how Jared found Peter Navarro. He Googled uh, uh, China bad. But it, they just don't, it's interesting though, because this is the first time where like, Obviously, it matters who wins this political battle, and Trump's certainly doing his best to, like, rev up his base here, though I don't think he's doing that well with the rest of the country. But, like, at some point, the legal system it could come for him, and there's nothing he can do <laughs> to get out of that by just winning a political argument. My, my concern when I first read about this FBI non-raid, don't say raid to get in big trouble, this first, <laughs> this very lawful, orderly... The visit. Visit. <laughs> it's yeah, visit. Yeah, right, it's a visit. Is it check-in? Again, they were wearing cargo shorts. Is it visiting like the way Southern people say, or like, you <laughs> know, sort of like how do Southern people say? It's like having dinner. <laughs> I'll, I'll lodge away in later if I'm okay. getting this wrong. Anyway, when the FBI went, I was like, ah, oh, shit, you know, Trump could probably use this and, and motivate his base to turn out for Republicans in the midterms if he would just kind of make that message turn. But in my mind, I thought, don't worry about that because it's far more likely that he'll use it to uh, shovel money into his super PAC and raise money for himself and just kind of grift off it. And that's kind of what's happened. It's He's doing what he always does, which is making it all about himself. And for the people who are his biggest fans, who will always be his biggest fans, they're going to get revved up about it. And I worry less about the political consequences than the actual violence that, that could yeah, come that from it. That would be You know, like that, that's a legitimate worry. On, on the political side, yeah, maybe he has cemented his grip on uh a, a, his his biggest maga fans but like he he kind of had that even still maybe you know maybe, I, the, right. the people like, like declaring that he's the nominee david brooks uh <laughs> 30 seconds after this happened like I, I don't know the thing people don't like about trump is the chaos and the tweeting and the constant controversies and like we'll see how this wears over time i do think as i always have that it is um it is very difficult to be Merrick garland <laughs> right now because yeah, that's a tough gig. when you actually make the decision say you make the decision to indict trump that is that in all the chaos that comes with that he's also that's tough but if you don't do it if if you know there is a case to be brought against trump that would have been brought against other people who committed the same kind of crime and you don't bring it because you're worried about the political consequences what does that say too i mean it's a very 
He's also going to get tagged with just a brutal nickname. What's that? I don't know. It's coming though. Oh, Mer- oh Trump's going to tag him, Merrick yep. Garland, with a brutal nickname. I mean, it's going to yeah. it's going to well, well. It's a lot to work with. Well, sign up for Truth Social. Find it there Fuck. first. Um, we are like ten weeks out from the midterms. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell had a criminal investigation of their party's twenty twenty four frontrunner on the message calendar for? This month, you think those guys are psyched? They probably should have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, they should. You know can't better. predict a lot of things in politics, but like this one, that was an easy bet. They are kind of quieting down a little bit. The Republicans, did yeah. You there's nobody that? on the Sunday shows, right? It was just sort of they're sort of doing that. Like Roy Blunt was there. He was like, yeah, he should have turned the documents over more quickly and whatever. But like, why is this happening now? It's like, well, it's happening now because uh, it took them this long to get the documents. Back. Yeah, I thought Melissa Murray made an interesting and compelling point that. Uh, there was this long back and forth between DOJ and the Trump team. And basically the FBI kind of went and retrieved the documents in a calm and lawful manner at the last kind of moment they thought was reasonable given their guidelines about not taking major actions before an election. And so we might not hear any more from them for a while. But I, I, I was listening to that too. And I, there's always a timeline problem, right? Because there's the, yeah. she's right. There's the timeline before the election problem. So like say... If you're Trump, the midterms happen, you announce immediately after the midterms, and now DOJ is thinking, well, now he's a presidential candidate. Yeah, they can't think that. They're, they're, <laughs> That's like, what I'm saying. I'm, yeah. like, I'm, I, I heard her say that, and I was like, ah, yes, that is worrisome, but also you are morons if you let that impact your decision. Because no. as Dan noted, everyone would run for president. Right. So <laughs> I, I, Great I, way to I, get out of jail. I just want to give Merrick and No, you crew. can't touch me. I'm running for president. <laughs> no, nope. Sorry, officer. I am running for president. <laughs> I am a leading contender of my party for my party's nomination. I can do whatever yeah. I please. Thank God. you very much. Yeah, no, I don't think it's great for them. I think uh, uh, I think some of the president's biggest uh, biggest cheerleaders have uh, have gone a little bit quiet. So I don't know that it's going to be. Um, I don't know if it's going to be the base rallying uh, boon that people thought it was. We'll see. We'll try. I mean, look, it's, it's nonstop. It's a, it's a grievance factory. Yeah. You know, we're just constantly banging out widgets of grievance. And so we'll see how long this one lasts. I don't know. I do think, as Dan has said, too, that like it, it, the more the party appears to voters like all they're for is defending Donald Trump, um, the less that's going to win new people over. I mean, we just like <laughs> Demo- people, people have all kinds of problems. Like, look, when the party was like, we're going to make this about inflation, we're going to make this about the problems that people are worried about and how Joe Biden hasn't fixed them. That's one thing. When the party's like, uh, we're going to make this election about defending Donald Trump. And by the way, if you give us power, we're going to impeach Joe Biden. That's vote Republican. We'll drag you through an impeachment and we'll uh, do whatever it takes to defend Donald Trump. That's what that's what Republicans give you. I mean, meanwhile, Democrats are just shoving 380 billion climate change spending through Congress. And, and they're, yeah, we are. they're not defending it because they're <laughs> talking about this stuff. Uh, well, we're going to talk more about that later in terms of the uh, student student debt relief. But when we come back, uh, we will talk to the newest congressman from the state of New York who just won a special election last week, Pat Ryan. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. 
The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. Joining us now is the newest congressman from the state of New York, who last week won a special election in a swing district that previously voted for Donald Trump. Pat Ryan, welcome to the pod. Guys, thank you for having me. I can't actually believe I'm on this show. <laughs> it's really an honor. You, Who, you, us? Yeah, you, you, come you've on. fallen that far. You didn't even think you'd have to do this. I stooped to this level. There were some dark moments. There were some dark moments in late 2016 and early 2017, and, and you guys were a, a, a ray of hope. So, oh God, uh, that is, can you continue it? That is kind of you to say. Nice of you to say. Um, so you weren't supposed to win this race. You were outspent three to one. The DCCC didn't spend any money at all. District that Biden won by less than two points in 2020. I saw that even you and your advisors were surprised you won. Uh, how'd you do it? What do you think happened now that you've looked back at uh, the last couple of weeks? Well, I think there was like the surprise of the moment that it actually happened. But I, <laughs> at, at a at a broader level, I actually... Uh, I think we saw this building at least for the last few weeks of what was a very short <laughs> campaign. It was only about three months. Um I mean, what we really just tried to do is be clear and unequivocal and say, here are a set of what I think are broadly shared American values, and we're going to stand up. We're going to ask people to stand with us uh, and really orienting the threats to fundamental rights and freedoms under a larger umbrella of of a unifying idea that that Americans still very much believe in and want to fight for for freedom. And, and I think a lot of it too is just we are at a moment where folks are needing to see the fight in us. Like to say, this is what we believe on a personal level, it's what we believe as a collective, it's what we believe as a country. And we're going to stand up and actually really go all in on that and not pull test it, not pull our punches, not triangulate but just actually own that and be authentic in it. Are you related to Paul Ryan? <laughs> Dan Pfeiffer there's wanted still, me to ask. There's still like a lot of people that that sub in Paul and Pat, and it really hurts my That's soul a tough every one. time. Every yeah. time I hear it. 
uh, yeah, Tim I mean, Ryan, you know, I would I would much much more proudly claim Tim Ryan, but I'm not related to either of them. Well, yeah, but Paul really sullied the Ryan brand because you guys were riding high with Jack Ryan for a while, right? <laughs> There's like a whole cool vibe going on. And this schmuck comes in, and you know, it's tough. Kind of gut entitlement program. A better Ryan in Congress is what we have now. We, um, my wife would not allow me to put Jack at the top of our two boys name list. I tried everything <laughs> I could, every trick I had. Um, I grew up reading Tom Clancy novels, so that tells you how huge of a nerd I am. Hey, but um, we got to bring that back. They're great novels. Um, back to the race. <laughs> now that we clarified that for Dan, again, that was for Dan only. Uh, a lot of pollsters uh, and a lot of organizers all around the country have noticed this seismic shift since the Dobbs decision and voters coming out focused on abortion rights. Did your team feel that as well? And if so, how does that manifest on a campaign like yours? Is it more volunteers, money, something else? So what was really interesting is the whole special election almost coincided exactly with the the Dobbs decision. The the leaked Dobbs decision came out right at the same time that uh, then Congressman, now Lieutenant Governor Antonio Delgado was making that sort of move and the special election was on the horizon. And so a few days after the leaked decision, I was at a whole bunch of rallies and protests across the community, across the district in response to the leak. And just like the outrage, the anger, the frustration, the disappointment. I mean, there were people, a lot of people openly bawling and crying. And and to me, it was just clear immediately that this hit in a much deeper, more foundational level on rights and freedoms that folks had worked really hard to secure that meant so much to so many people and also portended further grabs at at other rights as telegraphed by Justice Thomas's opinion. Um, so we immediately oriented around that and, and it resulted in incredible volunteer mm. uh, numbers, grassroots financial support. Um, I know people might make fun of this, but we couldn't keep yard signs in our office, which in a kind of like unexpected off cycle special election mattered, I think a lot to get yeah. people energized and out. And we saw that in the Democratic turnout numbers and on election night. Um, so I really just think that people were pissed. I mean, people were rightly pissed, women, especially men, dads, moms, grandparents, like it just struck a deeper level. And I think the, the ground has certainly the political ground and the moral ground has shifted in the country. Republicans are saying, you know, you only won because it was a closed primary, which in New York has historically meant that Democrats usually turn out at much higher rates uh, than Republicans or independents who can't vote in party primaries. How much of that is just their bullshit spin? And or how much are you? <laughs> what, what's what's your take on that? I think there's a lot of bullshit spin from Republicans <laughs> right now. I think that you look at what happened over the course of the final few weeks of this campaign they were in pure panic mode. I mean, they, they started the campaign with the, the, the tired Biden inflation hits and all that stuff. That was clearly not working. They weren't seeing that move the needle. Then they dusted off the uh, racist, you know, nasty, you're, you're against safe public safety. You, you marched with Black Lives Matter, tired attack. That didn't land. By the end of the campaign, my opponent, who pretended to be a moderate, was attached at the hip to Elise Stefanik almost every single day with her oh, God. and appearing on Newsmax and Breitbart. I mean, it was 
it was bad it's dark. and 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 none of it worked yeah none of it worked too so i mean i think at the end of the day the other thing when you zoom out is like we really gave people something to be for to fight mm. for to rally behind and, and there was just nothing on the other side of that it was a bunch of negativity and cynicism and you know i i like i think this is really a hopeful optimistic point where for me the idea that you know, not every American was directly affected maybe by the decision, but I think people are smart enough and attuned enough and thoughtful enough to get that this affects their whole community and people they love. And, and they said, like, that's not who we are as a country and we're going to stand up. It also feels like the most urgent and powerful example of Republican extremism on a host of other issues. Right. Like how much did you sort of connect it to the party becoming extreme on a bunch of things that people really care about? That's, I think, a really important takeaway here. We certainly and I think rightly centered abortion rights, Roe being ripped away. And but but we put it under this broader umbrella of threats to freedoms, threats, threats to democracy. Of course, remembering it feels so long ago, but. The, the Dobbs decision was only 24 hours after another seismic Supreme Court decision putting more deadly guns on the, on the streets, combined with January 6th, combined with um, the, the case on dismantling the EPA. I mean, the cumulative effect of what's happening can't be underestimated here. And, and I think that, um, again, people are smart and they see that the Dobbs decision is representative of this really cynical, divisive, dark grab at, at rights and they just have rejected it um you know you you went to west point uh you were a veteran you served uh in the u.s army in iraq how many top secret documents are in your basement is <laughs> part one of that and two i mean seriously you know we're we're a year after the u.s withdrawal from afghanistan we're like two decades plus after you know the quote-unquote war on terror began after the 9-11 attacks just curious like how you reflect on that time the decisions made things that went well and didn't and how that might inform the choices you make and the votes you take as a, as a member of congress i mean part of the question is we can't we cannot turn our eyes away from the fact that a fundamental breach of public trust was was uh was conducted by the former president I mean, I, I had a top secret SCI clearance. I was an Intel officer. It, it's almost just like, it's like all my friends that were in a sim. Yeah. It's like <laughs> you could just not even imagine doing that. I mean, it's just so beyond the pale. Would you be court-martialed if you had this shit in your house? You would be court-martialed. I would be in jail. 100% yeah. I would be in jail. And um, like, it's just not even, it's just not even a question. And it, it just so much more broadly represents a disdain and a disrespect for trust and accountability. And I think put reminding people of that, like this is a sacred trust when you have a security clearance. These are national uh, secrets, as, as you all know. And to break that trust and then, and then not accept the accountability for that, it just goes again against, I think, things we can all agree on. And um, yeah, I mean, the second part of your question is really personal and deep for me where like a big part of the reason that I'm seeking or sought, I guess, and <laughs> I'm still saying in that uh, <laughs> we've had the outcome we have here, um, federal office is I was on the receiving end for 
27 months in Iraq, a really bad foreign policy, like mm-hmm. the decision to go and the deception and dishonesty around that, the conduct itself. And, and I felt that in deeply personal ways that still very much stick with me. And then you look at what's happening in the world right now, uh, continued rise of nationalism, uh, continued growing inequality, um, Russia, China's uh, growing muscle flexing. I mean, it's a really scary time, especially to be a dad. Like I have two young boys. I'm, I am like legit worried that they could be fighting in a major war if we don't come up with a more thoughtful, nuanced strategy that understands history, <laughs> that understands the limits of the use of military force, um, and just is recentered in sort of foundational values that I think we've lost our way on a little bit. So last week, Joe Biden announced a, a big student debt relief plan. Um, most Democrats have praised it, though some candidates in tough races like Tim Ryan, who you're not related to, uh, have <laughs> criticized it for uh, not helping people uh, without college degrees. What do you make of that criticism? And what do you think about Biden's plan? I think it's desperately needed. I think any relief for folks that have this tremendous weight on their shoulders is, is huge. It shows that we care. It shows that we're listening to people and it it's it's liberating for those under that weight. And then it's also, I think, empowering to think about what it could mean looking ahead a generation out. I still always try to remind people of the impact of the, the GI Bill post-World War II for my grandpa's generation, what that built for our economy as sort of the core of the middle class. So I, I think it's a hugely important thing and I applaud it. In terms of the criticism, I mean, I think it it's disappointing. I mean, I think the idea that just because we can't help everybody, we shouldn't help anybody. It, yeah. it goes against what, who we are as, as Americans. I think the idea that, you know, I've got mine and so you shouldn't have yours goes against who we are as Americans. And it's it's another cynical attempt, I think, to divide folks when, in fact, we we all know a lot of people. There's 43 million people that are going to get this relief. We all are one degree of, of separation at most, maybe two from someone impacted by this. So just reminding people of that and, and personalizing it, I think, is really important. Um, no one trusts polls anymore, right? Except for <laughs> good, dude, good. Dude's, guys named Nate with blue checks <laughs> on Twitter. Um, so we're all looking at special elections. We're looking at people like you. We're looking at the referendum in Kansas. And right now you are you are an oracle. You know everything. So I'm curious what your advice would be to all the people, the DCCC or the DSCC, about how you capitalize on this moment and win uh, in these midterms, because we obviously know how important they are. I mean, I, I number one, you got to come out with a lot of humility. <laughs> the all campaigns, the job, serving in office. I mean, that's what's also lacking in our politics right now, I think. Um, but I, I mean, one of the upsides of this being an unexpected special election with very little time is like, we just said what we believed. I mean, we just genuinely stood up and said, here are values that we think are really important that are actually unifying the idea of freedom and choice. And that when those are under threat, we're going to stand up not just for ourselves, but for others. Um, and we, we, we didn't have time really to do all the typical watering down and diluting and adding the pablum that that comes and that's also just not how i want to operate regardless of the time that we have 
Um, you got to hire guys yeah, like don't us. Don't start now. Yeah, then don't. you can have them. <laughs> you have too much time between now and November. You got another. <laughs> you got another race to run. <laughs> I mean, the good news is we really don't have to, and we won't change our message. We won't change the intensity. I think the the importance of showing a fight and a backbone is not to be underestimated. Mm-hmm. In our politics right now, I just think people are so so distrustful of the the people telling them what they want to hear and it's almost like jarring for for people to say yeah we're not going to agree on everything that is kind of what it's about and that's okay but i'm going to say this with conviction i'm going to say it with deep love for this country i mean that's what's um again reminding people that we can have those disagreements um at least about some of the policy ideas. But when we cross certain thresholds and sort of guardrails of democracy, it then becomes an actual patriotic duty to stand up and sort of rise above the current partisan framing. Yeah, running scared never seems to actually work. No. <laughs> We're you know. very bad at that. <laughs> Us Democrats. Well, especially, and you're, like you said, if people, people have so little faith in, in government and politics right now that... Um, I do think it's very appealing when someone comes up and says, actually, this is what I believe. And if, and if you're with me, that's great. And if you're not, that's okay. But this is what I believe. Yeah. And look, we're, we're going to listen. We're going to represent everybody and do the work, but uh, absolutely. I I mean, I think, yeah, I I just think that's kind of the moment that we're at. I'm, I'm, I am genuinely encouraged for our country right now. Like I really think that people, I'm really proud that people see, like, I think people see what's happening. I think they see the, the recent poll a week or two ago that threats to democracy is now the number one issue. I think it was an NBC poll mm-hmm. really resonated with me. That's kind of what I felt on the ground and that people are linking the, the, the attack, really coordinated attack on reproductive rights as part of a larger threat to, to core freedoms and, and rights. And, um, it's not going to happen overnight, but I think there's sort of a reawakening of our responsibility on, to a higher set or maybe actually a deeper set of values. Congressman Ryan, your optimism is infectious. Yeah, really. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to keep it with me now. I want to feel more cynical. Next time I look at polls or go through Twitter, I'm going to remember this no. interview. <laughs> can't be my normal self now <laughs> um thank you so much for uh, for coming on the pod and 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 sharing some wisdom from your race and uh and good luck uh good luck in november thank you guys really appreciate you having me on and everything that you do hey everyone it's ted from consumer cellular the guy in the orange sweater and this is your wake-up call If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. 
Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. All right, before we go, we should talk about the political fallout over uh, Joe Biden's decision to help millions of low and middle income people who are struggling with federal student loan debt. In case any of you missed it, the Department of Education will now forgive $10,000 of debt for individuals making under $125,000 and households making under $250,000. They'll forgive $20,000 of debt for federal Pell Grant recipients, nearly all of whom come from families with incomes of $60,000 or less. And going forward, and this is a big part of the plan too, they'll cap monthly payments for undergraduate loans at 5% of a borrower's income. So you're not going to pay any more than 5% of your income every month on your student loans. And that's about half the rate that most people pay right now. Biden's move was praised by most Democrats, criticized by a few center-left economists, and met with outrage by most Republicans. Here's a sample. If you are that that slacker barista who, who, who wasted seven years in college studying completely useless things, now has loans and can't get a job, Joe Biden just gave you 20 grand. Like, holy cow, 20 grand. That, you know, maybe you weren't going to vote in November and suddenly you just got 20 grand. And, you know, if you can, you know, get off the bong for a minute and, and, and head down to the voting station. Taxpayers all over the country, taxpayers that never took out a student loan, Taxpayers that pay their bills and, 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 you know, maybe even never went to college or just hardworking people, they shouldn't have to pay off the great big student loan debt for, for some college student that piled up massive debt going to some Ivy League school. That's not fair. I owed over $100,000 in student loans. The day I got elected to the Senate, I had over $100,000 still in student loans that I was able to pay off because I wrote a book. And from that money, I was able to pay it. If not, it would never, I'd still be paying Tommy, what do you make of all that Republican whining, aside from, God, Ted Cruz's voice in my ears just give me a fucking headache. It's just heinous. <laughs> no, I, I think Marco Rubio is, is making a good point there. The, way, <laughs> the appropriate way to pay off your loans is you get elected to the U.S. Senate, you barely show up for work, you do like a funny thing with a water bottle on TV and you just humiliate, humiliate yourself, then you run for president, then you hire a ghostwriter, and then you um, pay off your loans based on purely hype and bulk purchases from conservative organizations. I think that's the we, right we pay do. Marco Rubio $174,000 not vote <laughs> a year. That is what we that is what we pay. And then because of his profile, he got to write a book that helped him pay off his student loans. Yeah, that is that is a path you can follow. Do, do you think that that Ted Cruz thinks like Animal House and 
PCU and like, does he think those are documentaries? It's the most lame cliche. Yeah, of get off the bong. College. We take edibles, Ted. Also, yeah. okay, bong <laughs> again. It's okay, in Ted. The late nineties. But also, can we just okay? How how we went through this whole. Hillary Clinton deplorable thing, the Barack Obama attacking people clinging to their guns and religion. Contempt. Now for we voters. have yeah, Ted Cruz just open contempt for people who work at coffee shops. Baristas the, work really hard. This is open contempt now from Ted Cruz for for people who who serve coffee to other people. Honestly, that is from the Republican if Party. If you work at a Starbucks and you see Ted Cruz in there, I, please let him know. Imagine if a Democratic politician was sitting there attacking a construction worker. It's just un, unthinkable. Also, was that MTG? Was that the other one? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, just one of many Republicans uh, who criticized this, who themselves uh, enjoyed a uh, a PPP loan during the pandemic that was then forgiven. Yeah, also, she wants to make this about Ivy League schools. 0.3% of federal student loan borrowers went to Ivy League schools. So that that's, for you counting at home, that means 99.7% of these loans will not go to Ivy League students. So again, they're just like, they're trying to manufacture this grievance between college-educated and non-college-educated voters. But the, the, again, not, not to take these people seriously, because we shouldn't, but not every government program helps everyone equally. Like, in fact, most of them don't, right? Medicare, Medicaid, PPP loans, there will almost undoubtedly be people who never went to college because they didn't want to take on a ton of debt who see this decision and think, that's unfair. I'm angry about this. And you know what? That's a totally valid feeling to have, just as it's valid if you're frustrated that Biden didn't do more. But like I, these, this is like manufactured outrage, just nonsense. I was going to say, there, there are, I think, some fair criticisms that I happen to disagree with uh, about this decision that we can get to in a second. But these fucking Republicans, like these these are people whose only economic policy is to cut taxes for people who are insanely rich. CEOs and bankers and oil company executives and insurance executives, they had like spent their entire lives fighting against a higher minimum wage and healthcare and retirement and all these benefits. They literally just voted against a law that would stop rich people from cheating on their taxes and stop like multi-billion dollar corporations from paying nothing in taxes, nothing. And so they just decided to vote to protect, to make sure that like Amazon doesn't have to pay any taxes at all, but they're all upset that like someone making 50 or $60,000 a year gets $10,000 of debt forgiven. When, when they when they tried to go to the mat to make sure that fucking Amazon doesn't have to pay any, any money in income taxes. I also, it, like, come on. You guys can't see it because you're, it's a podcast, but halfway through his answer, you can tell that Marco Rubio realizes he made an oopsie and he said something very stupid because again, most people can't get elected to the Senate and then hire a ghostwriter to sell a book based purely on hype and then not match any expectations uh, for your political future that anyone wants made of had. It is so incredibly out of touch. It's just so incredibly out of touch. Now, what do you think about some of the criticism from some center-left economists uh, who have argued this will make inflation worse. I mean, it's hard to know how to adjudicate those claims because I'm not smart enough. But, <laughs> you know, Jason Furman, very smart economist that we worked with uh, in the Obama White House, he has been been sort of leading the messaging charge against student debt relief. He's like, you know, 
on the killing fields of Davos and Bloomberg and <laughs> CNBC. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course, Twitter. Jason's Jason's point is basically this is half a trillion dollars worth of spending, which is a big chunk of change, admittedly. Yes. And he's worried that relieving the debt could lead to more spending and create between 0.2 and 0.3 percentage point increase in inflation. And then also potentially create bad incentives in the longer term that lead colleges to increase tuition and just convince kids, hey, take as much debt as possible uh, because someday it'll get paid off for you. I don't know if that's right or wrong. There's other economists who disagree. Goldman Sachs uh, thinks that the inflationary impact of debt forgiveness will be offset by other borrowers who have to resume making payments. Because as you recall, during the pandemic, uh, Trump and then Joe Biden put a pause on the repayment of student loans. And now that'll restart again in January. Uh, Joseph Stiglitz, another economist, wrote a piece for The Atlantic where he says that debt forgiveness will cut inflation. Again, you guys fight it out with your protractors and shit. I don't understand. I'm not smart enough. But like, what we do know is that Biden structured this bill in a way that made it more progressive than we expected it to be by doubling the relief for Pell Grant recipients. And again, in 2015... 68% of Pell Grant recipients came from families making $30,000 or less. And the relief is far more likely to go to Black and Latino borrowers. And so one other way to think about it is the Pell Grant has lost the majority of its value over time. In in 1975 or 6, the maximum Pell Grant covered 80% of the total cost of college at a four-year public university. Today, that's down to 28%. So, you know, in some ways, he's just restoring parity to what the U.S. government used to do to help low-income people go to college. It seems like most economists are agreeing that the inflationary effect, whether they think it slightly increases inflation or slightly decreases inflation, because, like you said, the moratorium is going to end at the end of the year, it's going to be minimal either way. And the other reason for that is that that it's a benefit that's spread out over a long period of time. It's a decade. It's a decade, right? So the inflation thing, I think we can put to the side. And also, by the way, Republicans have no plan on inflation, and they just voted against any attempt to uh, lower inflation in this country. And all they want to do is yell about Donald Trump. We're all going to live or die based on... On, uh, decisions that, that OPEC makes and other, right. you know, yep. whether the Chinese economy goes into recession and they use more less gasoline. So I, I don't know that we should be worrying so much about student loans uh, nine years from now. So the other two criticisms that you brought up that I think are worth talking about is the idea that the cost of college is far too high. Right. And we're not going to solve that problem unless we do something about the fact that colleges can continue to raise the price of tuition. This is like the same problem we have in the healthcare market, mm-hmm. right? Which is what we tried to fix with the Affordable Care Act, which basically we're like, okay, we can have a put a bunch of government money into this and subsidize people buying healthcare, but insurance companies can keep just raising prices unless we do something to control the cost. Yes. Yep. So obviously a long-term solution about the cost of higher education is doing something about making sure that colleges can bring down costs. So that's number one. Number two, if you had $500 billion to spend and you wanted to make sure it helped the broadest number of people possible, there are other ways you could structure a plan so that you help people who didn't get a college degree, Absolutely. who are working class and poor and need the help. But the problem with both of those things that I just said is 
to fix either of those, the high, the cost of college education or to, to develop some plan that's going to help more people, you need Congress. Right. And we don't like we Republicans. If Republicans in Congress actually cared about helping people, like we could have done something about the cost of education or the cost of healthcare or housing or any of these problems. But but they have decided to vote against everything. So all we had was Joe Biden having the power to do this with student debt, and it was and it was going to help a bunch of people. So of course he should take that action. Yeah, and and that's why I think you know you were going to mention some of the Democratic responses. I think next that have been a bit frustrating. Yeah. So t- yeah, Tim Tim Ryan. And uh, and Catherine Cortez Masto, who were both running, you know, in Nevada and Ohio, two states where the uh, proportion of non-college educated voters is much higher than some of these other states where there are competitive races. For example, in Arizona, which is a competitive race in Georgia, Mark Kelly and and Raphael Warnock praised the plan because there's more college graduates there. There's more people. So but but so, yeah, talk talk about why do you talk about the criticism from from Masto and uh, and Tim Ryan? I I mean, it's, it's sort of a similar response. I mean, yeah, I want that, too. You know what I mean? It's like I, I want I want low income people up by every policy by the greatest extent possible. But as members of Congress, Tim Ryan and Cortez Masto should probably know that Congress kind of sucks uh, and that it's not going to happen. And Biden has this narrow slice of authority, seemingly, hopefully, to cancel student debt. And that obviously won't help everyone, but it'll help student debt holders. And again, not every policy helps everyone equally. So maybe from politically that they have data that shows that the Biden's move is unpopular in Ohio uh, or Arizona, and they just are sort of messaging against it. And I'm going to give them a pass because they're in a uh, they're in an election year. But you know, it would be helpful to the broader cause, I think, if we all tried to sell this a little more. Yeah. Um, because even if you're an individual who didn't go to college or you already paid back your student loans, you, maybe you have a kid or a nephew that has loans and is struggling to pay for them. I, I think like we all can have a little more empathy in these situations. I worry that, you know, that they might have gotten a little too uh, a little too panicked by sort of the Republican reaction or the center-left economist reaction on this. And, and it, I think it's important for us to clarify who the people are who hold student debt. And you talked about some of this, right? Like half of all student loan debtors don't have a four-year degree. Many couldn't finish getting it because the cost of college was just too high. So you have a bunch of people who actually don't have a college degree because it was too expensive and they still have a bunch of debt. 16% of borrowers are in default, including nearly a third of senior citizens with debt. If you're a senior citizen who still has college debt, um, that means the government can garnish your wages or your social security benefits. Like it is the idea that the Republicans want to put out there that these are fucking Ivy League, you know, college graduates, MD, you know, people also like the, 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 the percentage of people with uh, student loans, federal student loans who have MBAs or doctorate degrees or law degrees is like four or five percent. It's nobody. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, Biden made this more progressive than we thought he would by focusing on Pell Grant recipients. And again, 95 percent of Pell Grant recipients come from families uh, earning sixty thousand dollars or less. These are not rich kids going to Ivy League schools. These are working class families who needed some help. Who, by the way, were told that if you want a job that pays enough to raise a family, you're right. going to need a degree. And, and that's, that's what that's what people are told in this country. So that when they go do that and they go struggle to try to get that education for themselves and then they're saddled with debt, we're, we're not going to help them when you have the chance. Yeah, the, America's sort of been telling itself this fiction for a long time that you need a college degree or you need to own a home to fully participate in society. And that's become completely unattainable for people. Yeah. 
And I get like I get it. It's not the perfect plan that you would design if you had a functioning Congress and you could pass legislation. I, yeah. I get that. But like that's like the I want a pony response. Right. Like, yeah, <laughs> yes. A, but that's I want response. a magical wand that saw that creates the perfect policy that helps everyone. But that's what's making me so disappointed Just, with so many smart people. Right. Like, well, <laughs> right. You're a member of Congress. Or you're an economist, you, you, or you're, you're you worked in politics, you get right. what's going on, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, Joe Biden doesn't have a lot of moves here on his own. This is a move that he can make without Congress. Yeah, I guess and you it's going to help a lot of people. And he made sure to target it in a way that's not going to help a bunch of rich people. You, you can hide from the grievance politics that Republicans are attempting to play here, or you can, I don't know, try to message it a little better and... and own the thing. I'd I like to own the thing. I think that's a great point because what they are trying to do is to pit like college educated voters against non-college educated voters because they know that college educated voters tend to vote more democratic now and and, and non-college yep. educated voters don't. And we shouldn't let them succeed there. You know, and, and also like there's this weird sort of strain of younger Republican, like the Charlie Kirk TPOSA crowd who openly advocates against anyone going for college. Like they see it as a horrible place full of sin where you're taught liberal values and i don't know it's very strange just a a note on the popularity right like it remains to be seen um you know all the polls that were taken before this now that the policy is enacted you kind of got to wait to see how it settles but we had one from over the weekend the cbs poll um which showed biden's approval up a little bit and they polled uh, biden's plan and it's 54 46 approval and Support was actually higher among those without a college degree than with a college degree. Weird. S- just slightly, but still. So I, get, I guess the question is, like, how do Democrats win the messaging war over this, over the next couple of months? Do you talk about it a lot in your campaign? I mean, I think you lean into it. Uh, you own it and you talk about how this is helping lower income people and as part of the Democratic policy platform of trying to help lower income people. You should talk about the need for systemic reforms that you mentioned earlier to reduce college costs for everybody. And then talk about the, all the other things you're fighting for. I mean, I, like, it is also fun. I'm happy that uh, the White House is leaning into calling out Republican hypocrisy on the PPP loans and the members of Congress who took who got PPP loans and then got them forgiven and are now attacking uh, student loan uh, forgiveness. That's yeah. fun. Good, some good dunking. Some good dunking. You know, very specific, narrow well executed right from the white house twitter account yeah i'm where they're gonna feel themselves a little bit and be like this you just like start they're gonna hammering they're people. gonna start just tweeting the dark brand of memes right from the i guess i guess they've already started they doing been. that yeah they can get you I in guess, trouble i guess rob flaherty's already been doing that no it's good it's good it was great i mean Marjorie Taylor like Green, she's an idiot look it's good to see some uh some pep in their step over there in the white yeah, house yeah i look pick a fight pick a fight pick a fight I, and i do think that's important as democrats think about this for the midterms is you talk about, look, this is what we've already done. You send more Democrats back to Congress and we're going to have more reform to education. It's going to help more people uh, and we're going to do more for people, right? And and the other party doesn't want to. The work is not done. And right. And, and then for folks who are frustrated that uh, Joe Biden didn't do more, I mean, I hope the message that everyone takes to themselves, to their friends, to their family is uh, that's why we need more Democrats so we can do more in the future. Yeah. And also like... <laughs> Again, 10, 20, 30,000 votes in uh, in Georgia, Wisconsin. Uh, there's millions and millions of people right now who don't have that debt forgiven. But yeah. because people showed up and they worked hard and they voted, um, that there's a lot of people whose lives are changed right now. That's a big deal. Um, all right. That's all we got, Tommy. Great. Thanks again to Pat Ryan for joining us. And uh, we'll talk to you on Thursday. Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. 
The executive producer is Michael Martinez. Our senior producer is Andy Gardner-Bernstein. Our producers are Olivia Martinez and Haley Muse. It's mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis sound engineer the show. Thanks to Tanya Sominator, Sandy Gerard, Hallie Kiefer, Ari Schwartz, Andy Taft, and Justine Howe for production support. And to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Phoebe Bradford, Milo Kim, and Amelia Montooth. Our episodes are uploaded as videos at youtube.com slash crookedmedia. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25.